very familiar passage, John 3, verse 16. John 3, verse 16. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of God's death row. God's death row. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today that we can say we know you as our Savior, and I hope that everyone here can say that, but if they can't, Lord, it's so good to know that today they can make a decision that will result in the fact that they can become your child and be forgiven of all sin and made sure of a home in heaven. Lord, I know today that the subject we're speaking about is a subject that all of us need to be aware of, even if we're already saved. We need to know that people around us are headed for, for destruction because they're already condemned. I ask that you give enablement to bring the message, and I pray that you'd use your word today to speak to each of our hearts. And if somebody here is here today, Lord, that has not yet trusted Jesus, I pray the day will be the day that they do that. We pray in his name. Amen. People on death row are those who have been convicted of a crime and sentenced to death. They are waiting the date of their execution. Death row is a sad place. It's a place of regret, a place of fear, a place of despair, a place of loneliness, a place where there's very little hope. I looked up some details about death row in Ohio. Inmates on death row in Ohio are housed at the Chillicothe Correctional Institution. They're, when the date of their execution comes, they are transported to the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville, and there they are executed. Females on death row are housed at the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville. As of June the 23rd, these are the latest statistics I had, June the 23rd, 2020, there were 133 men on death row and there's only one woman on death row. Her name is Donna Roberts. She's been there for a good while. On October the 1st, 2020, there were 2,553 people on death row in the United States. And so death row is a real thing, and there are a lot of people on death row. There's not much hope on death row, only the dim hope of new evidence, which would result in the possibility of a new trial, and the rare possibility of a pardon. Occasionally, there are people on death row who are innocent. I read about a, some people on death row that were released from death row uh, back in 2014, I think it was. Yes, Ricky Jackson, Wiley Bridgman, and Ronnie Bridgman. And uh, Ricky Jackson and Wiley Bridgman were released on November the 21st, 2014. And they were released from prison. Uh, Wiley's uh, brother, Ronnie, had been released a few years earlier. 
but a judge officially dismissed their conviction because it was all based on, back years before, on a a murder that took place in 1975. It was based on the testimony of a 12-year-old boy. And then years later, the boy recanted and said he knew nothing, he saw nothing about the murder. He had lied about it. And the result was they were released. That happens sometimes on death row. People who are innocent, wrongly accused, are there, and some of them even die for something they did not do. Today, I want to consider the fact that God also has a death row. You could call it God's death row, and multitudes are on it. In fact, everyone here today has been on death row, or you presently are on God's death row. If you are no longer on God's death row, it's because God has pardoned you. But if you are still on God's death row, it's because you have committed an offense worthy of death. God has convicted you, and he has passed the sentence. That's what it says in John 3, verse 18. You're already condemned. And no one on God's death row can produce new evidence to prove that they should not die. No innocent people are on God's death row. All deserve to die. There are absolutely no exceptions. And you either are either on it right now or you have been on it in the past. But everyone has been or are on God's death row. I've known of people who say, when you ask them a a question like, are you a Christian? They've told me, oh yes, I've been a Christian all of my life. No, you haven't. That's an impossibility. Not a true Christian. You might have the name Christian, but not a true Christian. A true Christian is a person who has trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They've come to repentance and faith in the Lord and they've been saved, and that happened at a definite time in your life. And at that moment, you came off of death row. But you were on death row before that because the Bible says you were already condemned. So this morning, I want us to talk about a few things. First of all, we want to talk about the people on God's death row. The people on God's death row are unbelievers. They're unbelievers. The Bible says in John three eighteen, He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the issue is belief. It's not whether you're good or bad or whether you're better than somebody else or whether you've done a lot or anything like that. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It's whether you believe or not. And the Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned already. He's on God's death row. You must believe or perish, John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you either believe or you perish. You either believe or you stay on God's death row. And it's a question of belief. Verse verse 36 says of John 3, He that believeth not, the the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The issue is belief. Even those who have never heard, and sometimes this question comes up, would God send somebody to hell who's never heard the gospel? The answer is yes. Yes, he would. Let me prove it to you. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And the Greek text actually says, who holds down the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. So everybody knows these things. Maybe not the gospel itself, but they know these things. And that is that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of God into an un- of an uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So people in areas where they've never heard the gospel, they many times make to themselves idols. They worship those idols. God says there's no excuse for that. They can tell by creation. They see everything we see. They see the order of creation. They see the goodness of God when he sends the rain and the sunshine and all those things and their crops grow and all that. It's evidence that there is a God and he's good, but they suppress that. They hold it down that truth and they will not believe. I truly believe that a a person in the darkest Africa who responds correctly to the evidence that they have and know that this... I can't worship that stump. I can't worship that idol. I can't worship that. Surely God's not that because that's something that he made. And surely there's something better than that. I believe if they would respond correctly, God would send them a missionary or somebody with the gospel. And they would hear it. Because God says if they don't, they're without excuse, even if they've never heard the gospel. So they must believe. And because they must believe, Then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, if you'll turn with me there, verse 9, it says, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So here's, here's how you're saved, through believing. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture said, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. God is rich to call upon all who call upon him. He's ready, willing, and able to save. But then he says this, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? You've got to believe. But how can you call on him that you haven't believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not, not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? God is saying, They need to hear so they can believe. And so we must take the word of God to them. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we send missionaries across the world. Some people say, well, don't bother those people. Leave them alone. I mean, you just confuse them. They're sincere. That's enough. No, that's not enough. They need to hear the message. There's one way to heaven, only one, and that's through Jesus. And how can they believe if they never hear? And so they've got to have a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are feet of them that, that preach the gospel of peace, peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So it's necessary to take them the gospel because they must believe the gospel if they're going to be saved. Everybody on God's death row are unbelievers. And also, they're already condemned. They don't wait to die and go to a judgment and wonder if God's going to send them to heaven or hell. There is no such judgment. 
There is no such judgment. God doesn't do that. God says you're already condemned. And if you die on death row and uh, you die condemned, then you just go out to your sentence. And what is that? Eternal death. And so you go immediately to hell. There's no judgment to determine where you're going to go. At that time, you go to hell. There's a judgment later called the Great White Throne Judgment, but it's a judging people who are already in hell and raising them up before that judgment so God can determine their degree of punishment in the lake of fire. But there's no judgment that's going to be determined whether you go one place or other depending upon how good you are. There's no such thing. And the Lord says you're already condemned. So people on God's death row are unbelievers and they're already condemned. The sentence has already been passed. They're awaiting the date of their execution. They're on God's death row. Now, let's go to consider something else. And that is the problems on God's death row. There are problems on God's death row. Let's look at some of those problems. People on God's death row do not believe they're on God's death row. You know, most people don't believe that. Most people today on God's death row don't believe they're on God's death row. I mean, they're not in a cell. They're not confined like people on on death row are. I read where people on death row are in a single cell by themselves. They don't have any any roommates or any cellmates. And uh, they eat by themselves. They do everything by themselves. Occasionally they'll see somebody, but it's so restricted. I mean, think of people who are on, on death row for years upon years and years, and it's a lonely place to be. And, uh, but people on God's death row aren't like that. They don't, they're not in a cell. They're not confined. They don't feel like they're on God's death row. They're not restricted in their diet. They don't have a certain clothing that they wear. I'm not sure that on people on death row wear a different clothing. I read some... It's difference in, in different states, I believe. I've read some where they re- wear the clothing of regular street clothing of people. But real, really, their clothing is determined by those in charge. They don't get to go to the store and buy it. And so they're restricted. Well, God, people on God's death row don't have those restrictions. They seem to be no different than anybody else. And uh, sometimes they compare themselves. They'll compare themselves to a Christian. And uh, I've had people say, well, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be. That's a terrible thing for somebody to say. But So we need to live our life in a way that pleases the Lord so people know we're different. But people on God's death row don't know they're on God's death row. They live as if judgment will never happen. They don't believe judgment is coming. They don't believe that it's going to happen. I remember I used to illustrate this when I was in West Virginia because we would travel from West Virginia before the interstates were built. Uh, we would come home by Route 60 between, uh, between uh, where we were, Lewisburg and, uh, and uh, Charleston. We traveled on old, old Route 60. And going on Route 60, there was a town there that you'd look to the left as you were going north. You'd look to the left, and there was a river. It was just as smooth as it could be. And then it there weren't, wasn't any turbulence or anything, and all of a sudden it dropped down with a fall, a waterfall. And I've used that as an illustration because you could be on that river, and let's say you were in a boat, and there was somebody else saying, uh, waterfall ahead, waterfall ahead, and you'd look over to them and say, there's no waterfall ahead. I don't see any turbulence or anything. 
And you could warn them and warn them and warn them. And if they didn't see it, they didn't realize it, they would go over the fall before they knew, ever knew it, and it'd be too late. Well, that's the way it is with people on God's death row. They don't realize they're on God's death row. They're not afraid. They don't believe judgment is, is near. In fact, they laugh sometimes at people who warn them that they're on God's death row. Maybe they don't use that terminology, but they'll warn them that judgment is coming, and they laugh. They say, uh, I've heard that all my life, and they don't believe it. They enjoy the blessings of life. Many of them fare sumptuously like the rich man in Luke 16. He fared sumptuously every day, and all of a sudden he died, and he ended up in hell. He was on God's death row and didn't know it, and he laughed about any warnings that came his way. So people on God's death row, one of the big problems they have is they don't recognize where they are. They don't understand that. Also, they do not believe the date of their execution is near. They don't think it's near. You know, people on death row, I read about those, I read those statistics, there's 133 people on death row in Ohio, 133 men, and one woman in Ohio, and some of them know about a date of execution. They know that's coming. Many of them don't know when it's going to be, and they don't know. Well, people on God's death row don't know about the date of execution, and they don't feel like it's any time near. In fact, they've got plenty of time. Maybe they're young and said, well, I'll do that when I'm, late. I'm older. They don't realize they're on God's death row. They feel they have plenty of time. And then the big pro- another big problem on God's death row is those people continue to rebel against God. Don't you know of people like that? They've heard the gospel. You've told them about it. You've warned them. But they don't believe it. They don't believe And not only that, they continue in their sin and their rebellion against God. And it gets worse and worse. And what are they doing? Well, the Bible tells us what they're doing in Romans chapter 2. The Lord says they're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. They're making it worse and worse because there will be degrees of punishment in the lake of fire. And the Lord says it's going to, it gets worse and worse. Romans chapter 2, verse 2 says, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou should escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You don't realize that because God's good to you, that's, God's wanting you to repent and God's wanting you to come to him. But you don't do that. You rebel against him and you treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. So people on God's death row don't realize where they are. They don't believe the warnings and they just continue in their sin and they make it so it's worse and worse and worse when they get out there at the, ju- at the great white throne judgment. Their degree of punishment is going to be worse than it would have been because of their rebellion. People are rejecting the way of escape on God's death row. A big problem. They've heard maybe that Jesus is the way. He's the only way. If thou, it's John three sixteen. For whosoever believeth on, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish. They've heard that. They don't believe it. They heard John 14, verse 6. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
God, Jesus Christ, said that he's the only way to heaven, and the reason he's the only way to heaven is you see Jesus went to death row for us. Now, we might question, well, how long was Jesus on death row? Well, probably you could say from the moment he came into this earth as a human being and was born, he was on God's death row because he was born to die, and it was determined that he was going to die. Thirty-three years later, he died for our sins. You remember in the, on the, in the garden, he knew that he was on God's death row for man. He was experiencing it for man. And he said, that, that time is coming when I'm going to drink of that cup. I'm going to be sentenced. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I am waiting that time. You remember when he said to them, my time has not yet come. He knew that the time was coming, and it was sure, but not yet. But then it came, and, the, and Jesus uh, said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he drank the cup of the wrath of God for our sins on the cross of Calvary. He died in our place. Romans chapter 5 makes that very clear. In verse 6, we're familiar with verse 8. But in Romans 5, verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went to death row, and then he took the punishment. He died in our place. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. What happened at the end of Jesus' death row experience when he was waiting for execution He was executed. He died. And what happened was the wrath of God was poured down on Jesus because he was bearing the sin of the world. He paid that for us. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 9, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. Yeah, many have heard that message, but the problem on death row is they've heard it, but they reject it. They reject the message. And then there's something else about death row, and that is the pardon that's available from God's death row. You see, the word pardon means, in our language anyway, from the dictionary definition, means this, remit the penalty of an offense. Remit the penalty of an offense. In other words... You don't take away the condemnation, really. You don't take the court's decision away. You take away the judgment. And that is, you don't have to go to jail. Or you get out of jail. You get out of prison. And you get a pardon. So it remits the, 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 it remits the offense, the penalty of, of an offense. Now, but God's pardon is different. God offers pardon. He offers pardon. That scripture makes that very clear. Psalm 25, verse 11 says, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. Nehemiah said this. Nehemiah said of God, Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, 
Isaiah 55, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. You can get a pardon from death row. Isn't that wonderful? And all of us, most of us here have experienced that. We don't have to go to hell. We've been pardoned. And the Lord says he, he abundantly pardons. God can offer this pardon because Christ of Christ's finished work on the cross of Calvary. He died for us. And therefore, Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. You see, before Romans, uh, John 3, 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. And so he says in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So we can have our condemnation taken away. Romans 10, 9 said, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, John 3, uh, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. You can have pardon. You don't have to perish. You can get off of God's death row. Now, God's pardon involves more than man's pardon. To remit the the penalty of an offense, to take away the the jail sentence, or take away the, the death sentence, to take that away, that's our pardon. But God's pardon is even deeper than that, much more than that. God's pardon involves no condemnation. You see, man's pardon doesn't take away the condemnation. You go back to the court records, it's still there. They were convicted of this, but President so-and-so pardoned them. And uh, so it doesn't take away the condemnation, but God's pardon takes away the condemnation. In fact, God's pardon takes takes away the record of the condemnation, the record of sin. Hebrews 10, verse 17 says, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, we've studied that before. God's remembrance isn't forgetfulness. God's not an absent-minded professor. God doesn't say, I don't know what you're... I don't remember you ever sinning. God's, that's not God's forgetfulness. God does remember. God forgave David, and yet God recorded in the Scriptures, so we've been reading about it ever since. And I imagine if there's anything such as getting tired of something in heaven, which I don't think there is. But David would probably getting tired, would be getting tired of hearing that all these people down on earth are reading about his sin. Well, why are they reading about it? Because God wrote it down. God knows he did that. But God doesn't remember it against him. And he never has to pay for it. He doesn't remember it against him. In God's record, it's all taken care of. It's all forgiven. It's out of the way. And he doesn't remember it against them again. And so the Lord says, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Colossians 2.14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What is that? That's the law. The law tells us we're sinners. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, convince us we're such a bad sinner that we need Jesus. But the Lord says he fulfilled the law, and he took the law that condemned us, and he nailed it to his cross. So there's nothing to condemn us. We as Christians, our record is clear. And so God's taken away our condemnation. He's removed the record of our sin, and we are imputed, we are 
imputed righteousness. Now, the word impute means to, to present to somebody. It means to attribute to a person. It means to put it down to their account. So if you have a record, if you could, fix, uh, if you could picture a record in heaven, which I, I doubt if it's like this, but if you could picture a record in heaven and God would list all of your sins, and then this would say, the Lord said, no, I take all those away, no condemnation, no record, forgiven, and in its place, I impute to them righteousness. You know, it's one thing to have your sin taken away, but it's even more and even greater to have imputed to you righteousness. And so the Lord says, no, he's not that anymore, he's this. What is he, Lord? He is pure. He's all of his sins forgiven. All that he has committed, all that he is committing, all that he ever will commit, it's all taken away. It's removed. I've forgiven it. And I put in the place of that, you know, taking it away, now it's sort of negative. Now I put a positive in its place, and I give him my righteousness. So when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and I am accepted in the beloved. I, I am accepted because of Jesus, not because of me. And none of you will get to heaven because of you. Nobody will get to heaven because of what you've done. Nobody will get to heaven because of how good you are. Nobody gets to heaven that way. People get to heaven because you have, you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. He's forgiven you of all of your sins. And he's put in, in, in the place of all that his righteousness, which he imputes to you, he gives to you, he puts it on your account. And so when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he would never reject his son and he will never reject you because you have his righteousness. Romans 4 tells us that. Romans 4 verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision to seal the righteousness of faith, speaking of Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. God imputed to Abraham righteousness because he believed God. It also says in verse 20, and he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but if but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Imputed for him for righteousness. So God gives us his righteousness. And not only that, we are justified. So this is a lot different than man's pardon. It involves so much more. And in addition to making us uh, not condemned and removing the record and all of that and making it clear and then giving us his righteousness, God as the judge, after giving his righteousness, stands as a judge and he looks at us and he says, I declare you to be righteous, a declaration of a judge. Now, sometimes people say justification means just as if you've never sinned. That's not a good definition. That's the result of it. But that's not what justification is saying. That's the result. After God does this, it's just as if you've never sinned. But justified is an act of God where God as the judge sits up there and declares that you are righteous. You are righteous. Not only I, I forgive you, not only I pardon your sentence, but more than that, you are righteous. Now, for some of us, 
people who know us well might scratch their heads and say, what? <laughs> yeah, I know some things about them you don't know. That's true of every one of you, by the way. <laughs> true. God knows things about you that I don't know, and I'm glad I don't. And he knows things about me that, I, that you don't know, and I'm glad you don't. <laughs> Let's be clear now. And God says to all of us that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior... He justifies us. The judge stands up and say, I, the God of the universe, declare this person righteous. Now, how are you going to argue against that? When God says that, I'm glad that God said that of me, not because of anything good I've done, because I, but because I trust Jesus and I rely on him completely. And if I have Jesus, I have his righteousness, and God makes that de- declaration Romans 3.28 says, We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. By faith. Remember, you have to believe to get off God's, uh, uh, God's death row. And it's by faith that you're justified. Why does God justify you? Because you deserve it? No, it's because you believe him. And you believe him, then he justifies you. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In fact, justification is so sure that the Lord says, if you're saved, you are justified. Romans 8, verse 29, says this. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So if you're, you're saved, God's already predetermined that you're going to be just like Jesus someday. When we get to heaven, we're going to be just perfect like him. And that he might be the firstborn among many, many brethren, more whom he did predestinate, but he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. So if you're saved, you're justified. God has declared that about you. You are righteous. And if you're justified, he says you'll also be glorified. Now, I haven't been glorified yet. I don't have a perfect body. You don't either. And it's becoming more and evident all the time of us. But God says someday we're going to be glorified. And if you are justified because you've trusted Jesus, you've put your faith in him, he justifies you. And if you are justified, he guarantees you'll be glorified. Now, that's eternal security. He guarantees you'll be glorified. And so God gives us justification. But then there's one more thing he gives us that's different than pardon. People's... Uh, you know, human pardon today, a pardon that a president or somebody would give you. It's much different. And that is sometimes people who are pardoned go out and do bad things again. Why is that? Because it didn't change the person. But the Lord, when he pardons us, he does something else. He gives us a new heart. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 says, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Yes, the Lord gives us a new heart. So if you claim to be a Christian, there should be some evidence there that you're not what you used to be. Because if God took you off of his death row, he not only gave you righteousness and then declared you to be righteous, but he also uh, changed your heart so that you have a new heart and new desires and you want to serve the Lord. Sure, you might fail some, but you want to serve the Lord. You want to love him. You want to please him. That's just a, a mark of a true Christian. 
And when the Lord get, takes you off of his death, his death row, he gives you a new heart so that you're a changed person. That doesn't happen in human pardon, but it happens when God pardons. Now, let's close by looking at some privileges of those who have been delivered from God's death row. I imagine most of you have. I imagine most of you put your trust in Jesus. You've repented of your sin and come to Jesus in faith and trusted him as your Savior. Most of you are off of God's death row. You don't have to worry about that anymore. But what are your privileges of now being off of God's death row? First of all, we become servants of righteousness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that there's a great difference from what we used to be and what we are now. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered you, being then made free from sin, become servants, ye become servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of, our, of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. But what fruit had ye then of those things which were, which, whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But being now made free from sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and unto the, and the end, everlasting life. So what's the privilege of being off of God's death row? Before we were servants of sin. Now we're servants of righteousness. You know, that's a, that's a birthmark of a true Christian. A servant of righteousness. Somebody who wants to do right. Somebody who determines they are going to do right. And they serve righteousness. A servant of righteousness. God wants us to be that. And a servant of righteousness is a servant of God. Verse 18, or verse 18 and 22 make clear. So serve the one who delivered you. I mean, isn't that just the reasonable thing? If God took me off of death row, shouldn't I want to serve the one that took me off of God's death row? Shouldn't I want to serve Jesus who I owe everything to because I no longer have to worry about condemnation. I no longer have to worry about the sentence of death. I no longer have to worry about being separated from God. I am, and even when I die physically, it's just waking, going to sleep down here and waking up in glory. And that's why the Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The Lord has removed that for us. So why shouldn't we want to serve him? We want to serve him because he took us off of death row. And then there's another privilege. Servants of righteousness, but also we become ambassadors for Christ. Telling others about how God delivered us and how God can deliver them. Do you have a friend who's still on God's death row? Maybe you haven't thought about it like that, but we need to. We need to think that this person that we like, this person that we know, we know they're not Christians. And we've forgotten sometimes that they are on God's death row. They've already been condemned. And the moment they die, they'll go into hell. We don't know when that's going to be, but we have the opportunity as an ambassador for Christ to tell them, be reconciled to God, turn to Jesus, trust him as your Savior. He can take you off of death row. 
He can give you a pardon like no other pardon. He can do that for you. We are ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that, that we are ambassadors telling others, be reconciled to God. Paul considered that, and he said in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, I am debtor. I am debtor to those who don't know Christ. I have to tell them about it. And then he went on to say, I am ready. I am ready to preach the gospel. I am debtor. I am ready. And then he said this in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why should we be ashamed of a message that we can tell a person who's on God's death row and they could die any moment and it would be too late and they could go out into hell and there's no, no, no turning back. It's all over. And how can we be ashamed of a message that we can share with them and tell them that you don't have to die like that? You don't have to die on God's death row. God will take you off of God's death row, and he'll make you a child of God, and he'll give you all these wonderful privileges, and you can know you're going to spend eternity in heaven someday. You can know that, and we should not be ashamed of that message. So Paul said, I am debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. Yes, God has a death row. If you have never come to Lord Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner and put your faith and trust in Him, you need to do that today. You need to realize that Jesus died for you, that He rose again from the grave, that He paid all your sin debt, and He wants you to be saved. And you need to realize that right now, without Jesus, you are convicted. You are sentenced. And you're just waiting for the date of execution. And if you would die without Jesus, you will remember this message for, throughout all eternity. I truly believe that. Because you'll remember a lot of things. Remember the rich man, Luke 16. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime. <laughs> you had all these good things. You remember it. And he did. In fact, he begged for somebody to go back and tell his brothers so they would repent. Oh, how did you know that they have to repent? Because he had heard that, and he remembered it. If I had only repented, but it was too late. But throughout, throughout all eternity, you will remember. You remember this message and others as well. Because you need to understand that right now, without Jesus, you're on God's death row. But the good news is God offers a pardon and you don't have to be on it any longer. You can get off of God's death row when you turn in faith and trust Jesus as your personal Savior. If you have been released from God's death row, which most of us have, we need to be God's ambassadors to tell other people that they can get off of God's death row, but they must believe in Jesus. Let's be sure to tell them about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us of this truth, it's a sobering truth, that you have a death row, and people on it are already condemned, and they're just waiting execution. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here like that today, still on God's death row, that they will flee for refuge to Jesus. They will trust you as their Savior and let you take them off of that terrible place. 
Lord, I ask that we as Christians will be faithful to share the message so we can tell other people that they can be saved and they can be pardoned. We ask in Jesus' name.